one, bowing all around <laughs> to all the rooms. <clears throat> it's good to see you and good to see some faces that I haven't seen in a while. Either you might not have been here or you haven't turned on your camera. So it's so great to see some new faces and some uh, faces I've seen quite uh, recently here in Hawaii. So, and also the, the families, the whole Steinbombers, everybody's together. <laughs> That's great. Uh, a few more people will be entering. Let's uh, enjoy our sitting together.
please um, add your voice to mine as we um, invoke the four practice principles to begin with today. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Good to take you all in. And <clears throat> I feel a lot of gratitude for your, your presence. I've partially, I, one of the reasons I wanted to begin with the four practice principles <clears throat> is um, uh, to remind myself. Um, because I'd like to reflect on some of my own practice today, uh, and maybe it will encourage and invite you in, in some important ways. You know, over the last few weeks, last, certainly the last two months, some, um, some really bad things have happened around the world. You know, and even though I was speaking to you back in uh, late April, I never really mentioned, and I'm going to say these things in a strong way, I didn't really mention in my inquiry reflections the racially motivated systematic execution of 10 black people in a quiet neighborhood supermarket in Buffalo, New York. And last week, uh, after we completed our retreat here in Hawaii, I, I didn't really mention uh, much about the 19 defenseless children and two teachers who were slaughtered mercilessly in Uvalde, Texas. And I say um, those things in those strong terms because I think those are the realities. Instead, I spoke about some very basic questions. Uh, one week I talked about why do we, why are we doing this practice? Like, what, what are we up to? And then uh, last time I spoke about what is practice and what is practice not, really. Uh, because whenever I meet an I'm asked to face the, uh, the unthinkable, the unimaginable. 
I, I, I kind of have to ask these questions, which both point to the deeper questions like, does any of this stuff make any sense? Or make any difference? Why are we doing the practice? And what is this practice? And in response to those two um, reflections, and then your, the way you've beautifully come forward and, and offered your own reflections and questions in our dialogue, uh, I've gotten a lot of really positive responses to these teachings. And I, and I get these kind of responses not infrequently. I'm very blessed to, you're very kind to me and people uh, encourage me quite a bit. So that keeps me going. Uh, it keeps me coming back. I'm lovingly supported and I have a lot of gratitude. And I also receive questions from, from several people about what I had not talked about about these significant events, like, why didn't you talk about those? Why didn't you fold them into uh, your talk and reflect on them? And the questions and the, the sort of gentle challenges were not really a challenge about why I didn't bring them up. And some of the things that issued from from those questions <clears throat> triggered in me, and this is why I wanted to start with the practice principles, it really triggered in me some unexpected frustration and even anger, which I didn't expect and which is not my kind of common response. I, I don't go to anger quickly, um, not that I can't be, but it's not, or, or that kind of irritated frustration. Um, as if a voice was saying, can't you see that this is what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to, to communicate? It's not, not common for me. So I had to look deeper and I began to see, like I ask you always to stay with, I had to stay with my own reactivity in order to begin to recognize and then avow and allow myself to feel more fully what was moving in me. In other words, I had to follow my own teachings about the function of practice and the fruits of practice. So the, the reactivity I'm talking about wasn't in response just simply to these terrible events. That I'll get back to that. It was in response to being challenged about not speaking about them. And I'm going to reread a quotation that I read a few times ago, which came from the Shamanic Bones of Zen in the, in the forward. Do you remember this where uh, Paula Arai, the uh, spiritual sort of anthropologist said, Zen practice and teachings galvanize boundless embodied activity and amplify transformative power. It's kind of big words. And most of its massive activity occurs below the surface. In accordance with the vow to liberate all beings, any barriers that stand in the way of compassion must be dismantled 
and anything that serves compassion can be enlisted. As humans, we are organic and permanent forms of congealed earth who channel water, animate fire, and circulate air. And we are capable of embodying flowing wellsprings of love. And then the final question, are you willing to experience love? And all of this was flowing deeply in me. But my question was, are you willing to myself, are you willing to experience it all? But then I began to think, well, actually, that is the larger perspective of love, isn't it? Because what practice exposes everything. So are you willing to experience love? Are you willing to experience it all? Because this, this, is, this points towards the larger container, which the, the words we took from Joko's teachings and that we amplify in our, our practice. Through practice, through our embodied practice, through our relational practices, we open to this larger space, a larger container through which life energy can flow. And I spoke about this last week, which hopefully diverts us a bit from spiritual bypassing um, and plunges us into life as it is, each moment life as it is. So I had to come back to this, this question, can I make room for it all? Can I make room in me for the my own helplessness, my own rage, my grief, my terror. And the part I don't want to say is the murderous impulses in me. Not because I'm at risk to express those or act them out, but I have to admit that all these things do flow in me. And in a, in a note to one of my very, very dear students who has gently prodded me about some of these things in a very kind and, and supportive way. This is, I'm going to read just what I wrote in an email. I said, I was not personally capable of going to the grief this past Tuesday. And I didn't want to open it up for others this week. Instead, the teachings I've been offering were setting the stage to go to grief. Because my concern is that if we move too quickly, people go to sort of ain't it awful about the whole thing. Both in regards to the horrors of gun violence and the idiotic and evil responses by the politicians. Sorry about that with the reminders of why we're practicing at all and what having a practice actually means, th then we can proceed. Otherwise, I was afraid we might devolve into very predictable rants, which I would happily and energetically join. And later I, I wrote, there's so much grief and overwhelm and the unrelenting nature of it all. 
There's the personal grief, and then there's the universal grief and outrage, our grief. And I said, I really appreciate the phrase that this student had used, aren't there waves, waves to acknowledge, honor, ride to yet more open-heartedness? And this person spoke about a longing to find room for it all, including the profound grieving and energy of anger before, they said, before I can calm or reimagine and find appropriate action. And I wrote back, and this is precisely what I want us to understand. This is the place in which we come face to face with what I point to in our bodies by a larger container. You're describing this longing precisely. And without that, without making that space, without honoring each wave without finding room for it all, there is no true practice. That is practice. And this is where I finally realized why I was carrying the irritation and anger. It wasn't the reactivity to the shooters and the politicians. That one's too easy. I was beginning to see more clearly why I felt what I've experienced as misunderstanding and frustration is just simply because I felt helpless. I didn't know what to do in the face of such horror and I'll use the word evil. But even as I use that word, I'm concerned that, you know, I would be inviting you to go into some, you know, philosophical or theological discussions about evil. And that's not the point. The point is to make room for it all in our bodies and in our relationships, in our hearts and minds. So I thought if I could answer for myself, what is the point of practice in the face of all this? And if I could somehow remember, even though I was so shaken, what practice looks like and feels like, then maybe I could see a way through. Maybe the container would hold and there could be room for it all. And then I received an email just yesterday out uh, by the grace of the universe, I guess, I don't know, um, from the, the very same student with a poem uh, written by Rosemary Watola Tromer, some of you have read poems by her before, and it was just in time. The, the title of the poem is, For When People Ask. Boy, that's a great title for me, huh? It's the poem for when people ask. And I'll make sure it gets shared later. Here, here you go. She says, I want a word that means okay and not okay. More than that, a word that means devastated and stunned with joy. I want the word that says, I feel it all at once. 
The heart is not like a songbird singing only one note at a time. More like a Tuvan throat singer, some of you know about this, able to sing both a drone and simultaneously two or three harmonics high above it. A sound the Tuvans say that gives the impression of wind swirling around rocks. The heart understands swirl, how the churning of opposite feelings weaves through us like an insistent breeze leads us wordlessly deeper into ourselves, blesses us with paradox, so we might walk more openly into this world so rife with devastation, this world so ripe with joy. I'll read it again. For when people ask, I want a word that means okay and not okay. More than that, a word that means devastated and stunned with joy. I want the word that says, I feel it all at once. I want the word that says, I feel it all at once. The heart is not like a songbird singing only one note at a time, more like a Tuvan throat singer able to sing both a drone and simultaneously two or three harmonics high above it. The sound the Tuvans say that gives the impression of wind swirling around rocks. The heart understands swirl, how the churning of opposite feelings weaves through us like an insistent breeze, how the churning of opposite feelings weaves through us like an insistent breeze, leads us wordlessly deeper into ourselves, blesses us with paradox. So we might walk more openly into this world so rife with devastation, the world so ripe with joy. And I have just a small um, reprise. I, it's, it's a word that I don't use very often. Maybe none of us do. You know, a reprise is a, you know, a repeated passage of a music, of music. Something comes again. Because of a few days earlier, before I'd received that poem, before I'd received the email, I was in a very lively and kind of testy conversation, good-hearted, testy conversation with two of my great friends here in Molokai. And it surrounded the word mystery and what, what it points to. And I've been speaking about this in the last two talks. And there was a strong pushback from one of them against anything beyond what's you know, physically observable or outside just what we can think and understand. It was a reaction to mystery. And one of my moments of reaching another limit, <laughs> but this time it was a reactivity that had to do with an outpouring of my heart instead of a contraction of my heart. This time, but, but still in a response to longing for someone to understand because both the opening and the contraction were both around this longing for you to understand. And I wrote back very personally and very passionately to my friend in a, in a text message, which I'm going to read to you. And one piece you need to know to understand it, this friend has a collection of beautiful symphonic gongs, which is part of his practice because they're, they're beautiful. But I wrote this to both of them. 
<clears throat> after his last strong pushback. I said, what I refer to or point toward when I speak in these terms is the tender experience I see in each of us. The tender moments I see in you when something breaks through to your heart, inviting tears to begin to form in your eyes and causes a warm sense of well-being or goodness to gently flood into your body. That very real, visceral, and emotional experience is the only evidence I have of something that may very well issue initially from my thoughts, but seems to go well beyond them into an intimate space that's hard to touch, like the sounds of the gongs. You can feel those vibrations and even describe them, but they're more than your descriptions and even more than your sensory responses. And that's part of their beauty. Hence the word that I use, the embodied inconceivable. That is no mystery. It's the longed for and treasured conversations we share, moving through our individual bodies and through the space our bodies make together. It's the forest and the sky and the ocean and the wind. In the entire contingent universe we find ourselves in, together. It's the awe and gratitude, the humility and sheer joy, which brings up beyond everyday answers and beyond ordinary knowability. It feels like love to me. So please, um, if there's something that has been called forward by my own reflections on my practice edges, um, or maybe an edge that you'd like to explore more yourself, please raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Um, very much to unpack, obviously, in the past 20 minutes or so. Um, the first thing in terms of response or, or commentary is to say um, thank you from all the depths of, um, of my knowledge of my heart for, for even broaching the subject. And um, not easy, very complicated. Um, wonderful perspective. I do have to make sure that gets set up front also. Um, so again, thank you. Um, I barely made it through that. Yeah, that was somewhat noticeable. <laughs> but um, yeah, from a background uh, in life, obviously we have very different experiential backgrounds. Um, but to be able to hear and see and, and know from a, from a place of, of feeling and knowledge that, of what you're saying now, um, while we have that background difference, we have a present day similarity. Um, we, we've come to be mirrors um, 
of, of each other in a, in a big sense. Um, and what I've, I've come to experience and know is that because of the things that have happened in my scant 72 years, um, that life was kind of, um, and again, it's life as it is, the only teacher. It's amazing how that just keeps rolling around, popping up as a baseline truth. Um, prior to being involved with this, prior to knowing what we know and doing the practice and the inquiry and so forth, it turns out that life as it is, was kind of a, a rough draft, if you will, of the things that we get to experience now. Um, growing up as, a, as an African-American in America, um, especially in the 50s and 60s, which were <laughs> a whole lot of fun. Um, you, you realize, you had to come to realize for survival purposes of nothing else, that um, there are scant few ways to hold insanity in a place of neutrality. Um, and all those things that you mentioned are bottom line insane. Um, and, you know, not to fall into that trap of, um, you know, denigrating or, or, or bad um, naming and label labeling of people and things. But um, what you realized is that the choice you have to survive and to thrive actually is um, to accept. You learn how to accept things. Um, in the worst of moments, you accept it with some labeling um, and of course various emotional states. In your best of moments, uh, you accept it. And as you continue to grow and mature, you find that that acceptance um, also has the opportunity. Um, and I guess that's, if we turn towards that um, vast unknowable, that opportunity is there to, while we accept it simultaneously, we have the option to let it go. And if you don't exercise that letting it go, you can go down some of the very ugly paths in terms of emotional anger or God forbid violence and all those types of things or hatred. And while accepting and simultaneously letting go, the underlying things that were there was to not engage. And I think engage is the right word, um, which kind of covers not trying to label it, just knowing this is a, one of the options of human behavior, um, not to let yourself get caught in repeating those things or fixating on the activity or the experience. Don't engage, but also don't indulge or nurture it by staying with it and holding on to it and trying to um, make sense out of it or find ways to answer or fix it. Because um, if I could do that, I'd be on national TV right now. Uh, <laughs> and um, the things with, with practice, it has that same thing where we turn to that fast unknowable and being able to open ourselves without labels and to be able to accept. And uh, with that acceptance um, comes that liberation of um, sometimes knowing, sometimes not knowing, but always with either one of those alternatives to be quite okay. Um, and so that kind of rough draft of, of survival life um, as a person with a particular skin color 
unbeknowingly fit in perfectly to what's here, what's now, um, with the practice, with the, um, you know, the four practices that we chanted this morning, um, as well as the verse of the robe and everything else that's in there. Um, and we have a refuge and we do have tools for, for staying the line and hopefully making right action choices. And that too is, um, sometimes it's a little miracle, but sometimes it's a huge one, but always part of the miraculous that's there and that's available for us. So I, and I'll just repeat myself by saying thank you to begin with and um, to, to say that there, there is a place of, um, of genuine calm without ignoring the reality of what's there and um, then being able to know when to make those right choices and also to know when to step back. Like some of the things like the buffalo and those kids, you see that and you do have to take a deep breath and step back um, for a minute or so just to even process that. But um, there are tools, there are ways and there are advantages. And one of the main advantages I think is that we're able to be in this environment, you know, with you, with everybody else that's here on the screen, um, and without clicking to see everyone, I don't think anybody else has my same tan in the winter that I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yet and still, uh, we are all one in the most profound of senses. And that's all the news that's fit to print for me. <laughs> Well, thank you for your, your teaching. Thank you really just for your voice because we need it. I can speak about these things from my perspective as best I can, as deeply and as fully and honestly as I can. But I can't speak for the perspective of a man with black skin who grew up in a similar time that I did and had a totally different experience. And the main thing I want to say is, thank God you survived. So that you can be here, not just like, oh, you saw it, but I'm, so you can be here with us. That's a blessing, Ed. Thank you. Appreciate your voice. That survival thing's not a given, as you know. <laughs> there you are. Hi. Hi, Flint. Hi, everybody. Are you, are you feeling better? Um. Yes, thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank I you. Know you're thank you problems. Yes, I, I, I realized lately I, I had some surgery and I didn't practice the way I usually do. And uh, I'm sure that that also affected me somehow. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to say, first of all, that um, when the shooting happened in, in Texas, and I, I know I don't show up so much in person, but I just wanted to tell you, Flint, and all of you in Texas that there was a particular corner of my heart that broke for you. Um, and I realized, you know, I don't think I've ever known anybody in Texas before. <laughs> so I realized that I've really taken all of you in my heart. And I just, I just wanted to let you know that. Um, just two other things really quickly. You know, I've been studying with a man named Francis Weller for the last oh, three months or so. And he described they were having one of their grief rituals, <clears throat> I think in California, and when 9-11 happened and they were having their usual bonfire, you know, 
and somehow he knew to create another bonfire. And so while people were processing, so he, he labeled one bonfire grief and he labeled the other uh, rage. And he said the people who were starting with grief ended up moving to rage. And the people who ended up, who started with rage ended up moving to grief. And then everybody ended up in a huddle. Mm. And I think that's what I've been doing, you know, except mostly by myself, because I think most people don't want to express grief. Mm. Um, we're afraid of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to be afraid of those bonfires. I mean, they're not wildfires, you know, they're not going to destroy the whole earth, but they are bonfires and they are in my heart. And the only other thing I wanted to say was I asked for a dream last night because I've been really processing for weeks now. Trudy saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, talking about the demure Quan Yin, you know, pouring out her. And one thing happened that I never really quite realized before. I thought, holy shit, a vase of dewdrops. I never processed this. How long does it take to fill a vase of dew? Mm. It was mind blowing, right? So anyway, but but I agreed with her. I thought, oh, you know, like, oh, give me a break, you know, this little demure vase. So last night I asked for a dream, you know, just like help me, help me, help me get this. And so I dreamt, I dreamt the male version, Kuan Yin, Canon. Mm -hmm. And he was holding a vase, which to my knowledge, they never do in mm. Japan. Never seen it. No. So he was holding the vase and he was tipping it. But I was digging the hole for the vase to pour into. Mm. And when I woke up, I realized this is what I think it means for me. That it's all, it's really great, you know, to have this compassion flowing. But I have some work to do. I have to, I have to make the hold to contain it, to hold it, mm -hmm. to receive it, you know, like, like this. Um, and those are the practice things that I was trying to set the stage for exactly. Yeah. What a powerful image. Yeah. And a direct response to your deep request. Yeah, very grateful. So thank you. Thank you, all of you. And thanks for that powerful image of the bonfires. Mm and and the and the connection between them um, um and you're offering a, chris is the one who sent me the poem so i had the poem you know and i really appreciate the the connection that allowed that to, to come through so. hey buddy hey <laughs> I, um, I'm wondering if you would speak a little bit to something that I know I'm experiencing and that um, now recently I've read research that shows a lot of people are experiencing, which is a sense of personal well-being, but public desolation. Hmm. I, have, I don't, I'm not sh sure about all the research, or at least I don't have it in my, my mind right now. Yeah. Um, 
and I'd like to know what you have to say about it as well. I, I can remember, I'm going to go way back. I can remember when I first really started practicing uh, systematically and in earnest, you know, formally. And this was back in the day when people were dying right and left from AIDS. So it was a different time, but I was feeling some of that desolation and and I experienced for the first time that I can remember feeling the kind of feelings that, that Chris was talking about and that we were talking about here and completely okay at the same time, kind of like the poem talked about. And that was like, what is wrong with me? Uh, because I always thought it meant if I felt any sense of equanimity, that means I wasn't paying attention to the but actually I was feeling the other stuff more than usual, but I was also feeling a sense of okayness at the center of it. And that was completely unknown to me. And I could tell after a while that it was somehow coming from the fact of practicing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't dissociation, it wasn't numbing, it wasn't turning away, it was actually turning toward. But these two things could rest together somehow. And I don't, so I don't know if I'm speaking to what you're talking about. And, and I feel it as a result of, of practicing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a question I asked you a long, 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 long time ago um, about <laughs> whether um, you can be happy if anyone in the world is unhappy. What did I say? You know, you didn't actually answer that question. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think you um, uh, assumed it was a rhetorical question rather than a pragmatic one. Uh. Yeah. And, and it is, you know, um, overwhelming the extent to which not only you feel powerless, but you recognize that even the majority will is powerless mm -hmm. to affect the kinds of changes that we need. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the desolation part, you know, is are we ever going to get it right? Are we, are we ever going to be able to prevail with what most people want to see happen? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's for me as a real practice edge. Absolutely. And I know you know this, I'm just going to say it. Um, I'm not sure about the being happy part, but finding a place of some equanimity, some joy, some possibility, some space. Uh, I don't know if I call it happy, but there are other, and I, you would say the same thing, I know, but there's something else available in there. Because there are always going to be people unhappy. I mean, that's the whole image of the archetype of Avalokiteshvara, you know, to hear the cries of the world and respond appropriately and to find a sense of goodness in there somewhere. It's what Chris is talking about, like, how, how do we, is it some puny little vase of goodness or uh, what's, what's required? Yeah, it gives me a wrenching feeling looking at my little granddaughter, you know, playing hops oh. in a rainbow dress and the background of the world she's in, you know, the... Yeah, that's the part that I didn't feel capable of actually turning toward a little bit because something would come up on the news and would have all those 19 faces of the 
kids or the 10 faces from the store. And like, I had to turn, I couldn't look at it. Yeah. And I thought, what a wimp I am. Who am I to be a t teacher? I can't even look at these faces without crumbling. It's, it's devastating. But it, but that actually is an appropriate response, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, thanks okay. for bringing this forward because it's an important piece of this all at once thing. I think it's that disconnect, you know, like, um, and this is what the research was showing that people, the vast majority of people, maybe 75% of the population feels their lives are going well. And a much larger percentage, maybe 95% of the people feel the world is not going well. Mm -hmm. Even though their personal experience is of things going well. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see how the experiment keeps unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Hi there. Hi, Flint. Oh, the Han arrived yesterday. Oh, it did? Yes. Wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. We're going to start working on our Echo Han on this side of the uh, ocean over here. Good. Yeah. Um, thank you. And thank you, Ed. And thank you, Peg. This is so rich and really is calling me forward. And honestly, I'm on a little device. And so I couldn't see, and I was maybe hoping that there were other hands and that I'd put my nap and not have time <laughs> because I'm trembling. Um, but here I am. And this whole thing that we're talking about is the practice edge that I've walked now for seven years, pretty intensively with what I felt was a great awakening to my Dharma work as um, awakening to reality came through enough that I could see that karma, Dharma is one coin or as a Mobius strip, you know, or, you know, whatever we want to say where there's one, one, but not quite. So it's not two <laughs> and there's a twist, mm -hmm. you know, um, really appreciate this conversation. And I think what it is stirring in me and why I want to come forward to fortify my practice and meeting life as it is here is because I love the humble coming forward that we have of like, yeah, what do we do? How do we do this? You know, that there's not a great knowing because it is you like be on the news, we'd be, you know, like, yay, celebrate, you know, if we found like a way. And yet, I think that humble acknowledgement that we all have really helps me know that um, where I have edges of knowing, of wanting to stand, wanting to do something, an idea of how could I meet this, that I've got to embolden that part that's willing out of dismantling what stands in the way of compassion and rising <laughs> um, arising all of the faculties that can let compassion flow through us. And so I wanted to bring two of my friends to help me embody that, that hole that Chris talked about. You got to dig, you know, you have to personally. Yes. Oh, there's the Royal ease coin in. Yes. So this is one version of, you know, that feminine love. Um, that comes through compassion that of course, you know, I love and she sits in here at home. Mm -hmm. She's from, you know, our tradition in, in Buddhism. And um, over this last little while, 
uh, I found this statue that borrows from another tradition from Egypt, which is also where I feel mm -hmm. connection. Uh -huh. And so for me, some of the answer for me is this more fierce stance. You have that a cobra in her hand? She does have a cobra in her hand. Wow. And on her brow. Yeah. As well. She's a tough uh, customer. <laughs> yes, right. And yet, to me, I see that she is so poised, dignified, mm -hmm. and not, she does not look easily movable from that place of poise and dignity and willingness to stand mm -hmm. where the serpents, you know, raise their head along with her right in the midst of, of this. And so um, I think one of the things I hear in me is an appreciation for you raising this of like, wow, it's really scary to fully open ourselves to it. Part because it could get overwhelming if we don't really balance out our practice. And also part because as we do it together, there's so much risk to get into the mind and concepts that take us out of right. the fruit practice. And yet, you know, it opens us then as we explore that to just exactly where Ed brought us to that. How can we accept, I think, as a white bodied person in this world, looking at how do various people in my life respond, you know, to these swells of the different waves in the ocean that we're all experiencing. And I think for white people, there's a new rattle where culture is hitting us at our hopelessness and our, oh my gosh, isn't somebody going to do something to like change how bad this is for so many of us? And that includes all of our brothers and sisters and everyone of, of all of the world. But there's something that I'm hearing that feels more like a white outcry of our world and a new ability to come to like that place of how can you accept the vastness of the pain, let it go and be with it at the same time. And so I have a number of people of color in my life who I draw from their wisdom because they've been doing it for centuries and centuries and centuries in this country on this land. And so I really appreciate that embodiment. And Peg, as I was listening to you, it's that like, how do we get pragmatic? How do we get practical? Like really how? And I just want to say, I'm feeling for, for me a sense of wanting to ignite that willingness from some places of privilege for being able to act safely enough. Like, she, I don't think she thinks she's going to die if she stands forward, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever boldness that got her there, I admire, but, um, you know, oh, and Quanyin uh, doesn't look like she's going to come to pieces if she meets the fullness of everything with this acceptance. And I know we don't know how to do that yet, but I feel like in good company, we're going to figure out how to get some kind of movement about it. And that gives me a lot of hope. And I needed to just, I think, speak through some of those layers for myself so I can take my part, my little corner of my life. Mm -hmm. And you're in the vortex of it. You're in Minneapolis. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I am, I live on a corner that is called Northrup and Mound. Northrup, if you take out the R, Northup, was the writing of the character who wrote his biography that became 12 years a slave. Mound is called Mound because this was Burial Mound 
sacred barrel mound areas of the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened on this corner. And a big body of water that calls to the waters in my body, as you were saying, you know, like we can activate all of this. And there's some energy here that calls me forward to listen, to love, to open myself and to have to walk a really pragmatic life so that I can do any kind of service other than just feeling the waves as they, which don't pay bills either, you know? So I got to find that. Surf them. Yep. So I just thank everyone for this container and any wisdom flint you have as I'm in this mm-hmm. here now. Well, let's continue on. And thank you for those images. Very powerful feminine images. Mm-hmm. And let's um, <clears throat> invoke the, the, oh, Jay, wait a minute. Just quickly. We had um, Sabrina next, but uh, if you want to, she just uh, wanted to say a quick thank you, I think. Oh, Okay, we're kind of we're make sure I have everybody's voice. We're reaching the end of our time, but go ahead. Hey, there you are. There you are, literally. In the middle of writing, but I just wanted to thank you. Um, known Flint and Peg since Priyama Upamada, 30 years. Um, and this little one needed her sangha. And she needed you to be open to sharing your your um, heart. And um, because this little girl and all those 19 kids, se parece as a niña, they look like family. Yeah. And I'm hurting pretty bad. So we both thank you today. Yeah, thank there was you. an echo there, wasn't there? Yep. The mm-hmm. Deep- mm-hmm. Thank you. And Jay? There she is. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ed. <laughs> you are not alone. Um, no, I actually have a question that was brought up earlier um, when Peg asked about, can you be happy if everyone is not happy? And I, Okay, so my question is... <laughs> If you're not happy because everyone is not happy, isn't that you getting up in that, um, getting caught up in the self-centered dream? Because I'm like, for me, seeing the birth of kids, I don't know, it, it speaks to me that people have not given up hope, you know what I mean? And that, you know, everything that we are experiencing, you know, as painful as it is it's the path right that takes us to a tipping point it calls us to action it calls us to do something rather than just talking oh my god this is horrible what is our part to do you know i i i know of people who always let's i'll be specific co-workers who always cry about oh this is whatever what but they do nothing yeah so when we put our practice i in my opinion, these are moments that call us to action and the frequency with which is happening now is like like a domino. It's really, to me, the universe crying out, do something rather than sitting there saying, oh my God, not another one again. You know, yeah. so I experience joy every day, you know, um, despite what's going on because I know that 
it is, let me see, I, I don't know how to put it in my, put it into words right now without taking us way over time, but I experience joy every day despite other people not being happy because that is not my and that's what's crucial you know like for you a black-skinned woman to say that is important to hear okay that's a a powerful invitation it's a powerful challenge it's a powerful expression of your own practice and so that's why it's a good punctuation for today even though we're gonna have to wrap up of course but i didn't but i wanted to hear your voice and i wanted to see your face uh, because thank you and uh, so we're going to chant the the uh, verse of the robe now to remember that unification. Okay, here we go. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you for supporting me in my practice. Thank you so much, Flint. I've just reminded of sunflowers that when the sun goes away, they turn towards each other. And I think with this practice, that's what we do. We turn towards each other. So thank you so much for that, for that, Flint. And uh, thank you all so much for, for being here and for turning towards together. Um, and if you'd all, uh, if any of you would like to make a, a offer dana towards this evening, or towards Flint, then uh, and towards any of Appamada's programs and facilities, then please do go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute, and there you'll find an opportunity to offer Dana either one time or to set up regular payments. So thank you all so much for for being here. And if you'd like to continue to turn towards, then please do um, meet myself and others for a further 30 minutes on the virtual porch. I look forward to seeing some of you there. Thank you all very much.